punks on the pitch podcast the show where we bring the beautiful game to alternative disgusting music um as always the the football world keeps turning we've got constant games going on at the moment we're in the midst of champions league championship whatever even like premier league games going on midweek but um, as always, I'm joined by a wonderful guest. Uh, they are drummer of Constellation and Norwich City fan, T. T, how are you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm good, Tim. Um, thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, I'm good. Good. How, how's, um, how's things been like in general? Because I feel like I haven't seen you since maybe you uh, guys played Bristol, I think. Was yeah, time. we played... <laughs> downstairs at the exchange is it that yeah, yeah yeah that like small room in the basement right yeah so when was god when was that like uh like november december like yeah i mean it feels like a lifetime ago but um yeah yeah doing all right i mean it was actually it's a year this week since we last played a gig of any sort like it's coming around yeah, yeah. Like year anniversary so like super weird so we played in london like a year ago um so that's quite yeah strange and also like been a band for three years we realized this week sean pointed oh, out, shit. which is like crazy um because really in the last year it sort of doesn't almost like count so it's like really two yeah, years yeah. We were saying it so it's actually two years um but yeah yeah been good yeah not too bad have you guys like been like been able to do anything like music wise like or not not really? not really i mean um we had lots of kind of grand plans like i'm sure a lot of like bands like did so we've kind of got because we just released um the uh demo tape sort of this time last yeah. year um so we were like of course that's good we had kind of a little run of kind of shows every now and again and we had some stuff booked in kind of like march and april just to do like the odd thing like nothing kind of major but then like the summer we planned to record sort of probably like a full length and do sort of maybe oh, okay. like a week's tour or something just to like work for all of us it's kind of hard to fit all that stuff in but yeah it's yeah, really yeah. just we've literally done nothing i think i've played drums about <laughs> three times in the last 12 months like i know for a fact that mikey's not picked up his bass in a year so yeah yeah um sam's been kind of yeah noodling around on kind of like garage band and like sending through random uh wrists to kind of break the cabin fever but no nothing actual that we've been able to do unfortunately <laughs> so i don't think we're a band that really lends ourselves to kind of like the acoustic instagram live stream you know so it's not like <laughs> we haven't had too many mediums to be able to do anything so no that's fair um <laughs> before we kind of get into the football talk i always kind of like to ask like have you been like jamming anything new that you want to kind of give a shout out like that you've been really listening to yeah i i have got really into when i've been um sort of doing work sort of whether it's working from home or doing uni work depending on which day of the week it is i've got like super into listening to kind of maximum rock and roll radio and the oh, radio okay. shows that they do through there which are really good i think the first time i listened to it was because someone i knew was hosting a show so i was like oh I'll check this right. out but like actually their backlog was really good so through that there's like a few things so i'm really into that new soul glow record um, yeah man. that's really good i like wasn't expecting it to be either 
um because i heard their earlier stuff through that radio show and it was like cool mm. i was like oh i'll check this out and then it's like it's quite different the new one isn't it in terms of just like yeah how like the pacing of it and stuff and it's like way more um yeah kind of like blast beat and fast uh, sort of rather it kind of more... feels more like measured compared yeah, to, like, yeah. whereas the like the earlier stuff was like a lot more hectic kind of yeah thing. more honed in i guess is yeah mm. um so that's really good and then my friend wes recommended me uh the new record by that band bootlicker um I don't know oh yeah, yeah yeah which is really good just i mean like straight up kind of uk 82 sort of mixed with kind of totalitar sort of dbe stuff but that's been really good yeah um so that's and i mean like... bootlicker is just a fucking rad name yeah it's so <laughs> it's so good like all the artwork and the whole imagery that goes around it and stuff is like uh, yeah it's sort of very on point so yeah they've yeah. been the two main sort of new things i've been jamming recently and i actually have to to thank you because uh when you did sean's uh culture fear mm. like albums of the year yeah, episode yeah. you introduced me to thick and oh, thick of course cool. a fucking incredible record yeah so. it's really good isn't it yeah man yeah i'm hoping yeah, like, that kind I... of now the weather is getting a bit well i mean i don't know about um sort of where you are but here it's certainly kind of jumped about sort of 10 degrees in the last couple of days and it's sort of lighter evenings. i mean it's got warmer but it's still pissing down okay things. okay so it's not too bad here but that that thick record is definitely like a real good like spring summer record um yeah so definitely of, yeah sort of uh bust that back out and stuff in a couple of weeks yeah. hopefully well let's say we're here to talk about football mm -hmm. and obviously you are norwich city fan mm -hmm. i think like one of the first things i learned about you was oh, really? you're a norwich <laughs> city fan. so like what was your kind of endpoint into to football where did you kind of like get introduced um, to it and what why kind of stick with your local team mm -hmm. as well so i so when i was really little kind of five six seven and stuff i was a man united fan um right because all of my mum's side of the family uh, sort of were or are so kind of they're all from the northwest of england so kind of um, right was the team going back to like kind of like great great uh, grandma and stuff going to watch like the busby babes like that far back like oh, okay <laughs> legit man united fans and then i think it was 97 or 98 um norwich were running a scheme where it was kids for a quid so under 16 tickets for a yeah pound. yeah yeah um so my dad took me to one of those games and that was the first time i'd ever been to like a live football match anything else had just mm. been kind of like on the tv or you know like watching um, sort of end of season reviews and stuff and i was just absolutely captivated by it just kind of yeah i mean less the football i mean i like a scrappy 1-1 draw with west brom was my first game which really set the tone <laughs> for supporting norwich over yeah. like the next few years just like real kind of mid-table mediocrity but it was just everything else that kind of went sort of along with it so kind of you know like the atmosphere and like the sights and the sounds and the smells and all those things i was yeah just like completely intoxicated by it so yeah i've uh, yeah, been going ever since yeah since then i think it sounds very similar to me like i don't think it was like i remember pompey did do the like kids for a quid thing but yeah. i don't like think if my first game was that but i went it was like us against Birmingham City at Fratton Park, and I think we lost like two one. And it was yeah. like, oh, okay, this is this is setting the tone for this the future to come. This is it, yeah. But yeah, like you say, you, you just kind of get completely sort of drawn into it and kind of into that whole like, I guess, kind of 
like culture and, and yeah. atmosphere and stuff as well. Yeah, and I think as well, because I've kind of always, even when I was a kid, I would get kind of very like obsessed with the minutiae of things and kind of like statistics and kind of making lists of things and that sort of thing. And I think that sort of lended itself quite well and stuff to kind of you know opening the sports page in local paper like pouring over like the tables and the statistics i quite liked that mm. like whole side of it as well you could really immerse yourself in it um yeah yeah so yeah just like hooked me in um yeah from there and i always ask just because i i think obviously nowadays more people within sort of like the punk and hardcore world are openly talking about mm. football mm-hmm. hence kind of the reason why i wanted to kind of do the show but like i think yeah. like when we were kind of younger like it was kind of one or the other mm-hmm. and things like that but for you what do you kind of see as like the crossover point like where do you feel like punk meets football i think nowadays i think like the most obvious examples are those things lower down sort of the pyramid and that kind of diy mm. culture and saying actually this thing which is the sort of dominant side of uh, so obviously like in punk's case kind of music and just kind of music yeah. more generally but then like football obviously being sort of if you take like the kind of premier league as the top actually people being like actually that's you know that's fine but we want to do our own thing so all those kind of teams yeah, like yeah. smaller downs whether it's kind of like clapton and kind of that sort of side of things with kind of like the ultras and like setting up and being a real kind of part of the local um community i guess and kind of doing mm. that side of things i think that's kind of the most obvious kind of reference point of, of kind of people breaking away from what sort of the norm is and just doing their own yeah, yeah. thing uh for the love of just kind of yeah the sport or uh sort of music uh it's probably yeah i think it's i think it's quite interesting like you mentioned obviously like clapton and mm-hmm. like you've got teams like um fc united of manchester mm-hmm. yeah. and stuff like that like even like in i didn't even realize this until quite recently but like in like germany they've got quite a lot of sort of i'm not sure if their class is like non-league but they're definitely like lower division teams like the regional leagues and stuff yeah that are literally like built from the ground up and i think like i saw like a mini documentary of it was purely like based around berlin yeah yeah and like like you think like on a grander scale, like you've got Hertha and Union, yeah, but like they've got like twelve different teams. Yeah, there's so much. I think like the the system in Germany is really interesting, just because obviously it sort of breaks everything up into like the regional things, doesn't it? So kind of with like the yeah, Berlin yeah. League. So we, we last last time we were in Berlin, or the time before that and stuff, we went to watch tennis Borussia Berlin, which is oh, like um, fourth tier so i guess would kind of be the i guess their version of like league league two i guess or maybe like national league so it's like the regional league so they only play in kind of that regional setup they're like immediate for zinni don't they yeah yeah, like um, um, and then have to earn and apply for promotion to the next one up if they wanted to it's quite like um i guess archaic in the sense like what the promotion and sort of relegation system um is Mm. but yeah there's loads of those teams um I think it's quite so interesting that you mentioned Germany actually because it like so much of kind of recent fan culture stuff here I think is really taking influence from like stuff that happens in places like Germany. So oh definitely. Yeah. Like again going to to Clapton I think they've clearly taken their model from 
teams like St. Pauli and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. things like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's cool to see because I think especially like back in the day, obviously, like probably even before we were watching football, obviously, of the of like the days of like hooliganism and, and stuff like yeah. that, you wouldn't think there would be this cross-pollination, but mm. it's kind of now like they obviously say football is a global game and it's clearly showing like that's not just on the pitch that can Absolutely. transfer to, to fandom as well. Yeah, and I think kind of back then as well, I guess kind of thinking sort of 70s and 80s when you were saying about sort of like hooliganism and stuff, I think that like there was some of the musical crossover but I think it's also because mm. fans felt like they could have more influence at their clubs and stuff so I remember reading a book a few years ago that was um I think it was to do with like um examples of direct action against like fascism in the UK and stuff and there was a yeah. whole couple of chapters about how like in the early 80s like in Manchester especially it was like Man City were known as the teams that lots of like the national front and stuff would go to and then oh, okay united was the team that had all like sort of people who were also involved with things like rock against racism and anti-nazi league and stuff and there'd be like actual mm. kind of on like the terraces and the stretford end and stuff there'd be all these like skins who were like you know like skins against racial prejudice like sharps and stuff oh all, wow that's cool all kind of like yeah sort of literally driving kind of people in the national front uh, back and stuff but I think that was in a time yeah, yeah. when sort of fans had much more influence like I wouldn't see that sort of happening uh, sort of now at like any a sort of uh, uh, team uh, just because fans mm. I think feel like they don't have as much influence which is one of the reasons why I think like people have sort of drifted into sort of yeah setting up or getting behind smaller things because they feel like they actually have a more sort of tangible relationship with it yeah, yeah, true. And uh, yeah, I think you've kind of hit the nail on the yeah. head, to be fair. Um, so in terms of like Norwich, obviously mm. at the moment sitting kind of pretty at the top of the championship. Well, I wouldn't and say I pretty, think, like... but we are top of the championship, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, obviously the last couple of years, it's been kind of like up in the in the Premier League for maybe like a season or two, then yeah, back down uh, in the championship no. and kind of rinse and repeat sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, from your perspective as a fan, would you prefer? Like, obviously, everyone would prefer the stability of the Premier League, but would I don't know. Like, where do you kind of stand? Do you do you, are you enjoying the up and down? Do you would you prefer they just yeah. become a solid Championship team? Where's your head? Yeah, at? I mean, my like I joke sometimes with other friends who I have who are Norwich fans or just general like football chat that all my most enjoyable seasons have been when we've been in lower leagues working our way up and actually mm. if I can yes when we've been in the Premier League there have been good one-off games you know when we've like beaten you know kind of Man United or Man City at the start of last season when we won 3-1 at home like those standalone uh, sort of high points that have been lovely yeah but that is kind of like interspersed with kind of months and months of just like <laughs> yeah. looking over your shoulder and it just becomes a bit demoralizing whereas I think like the season two seasons ago where we won the championship was one of my favorite seasons in like the entire time of supporting Norwich like almost 20 mm. years of supporting Norwich because just that kind of that forward momentum all the time and you're always aiming towards something where I think if all you're aiming for is to like not be one of the three worst teams in a league that can I think 
uh, sort of understandably changes kind of everyone's approach and outlook. So for me personally, yeah. I always said that kind of I would like to be a, a club who <laughs> finishes sort of around the top of the championship and has a fun season, but then maybe ultimately misses out like on promotion. Because then you're always there yeah, and having yeah. fun, but you don't have to go through kind of the drudgery of like a Premier League like relegation battle. Um, yeah, I get that because like it, obviously the the standard like boing boing baggies like yeah, yeah, yeah. West Brom up and down like yeah. I couldn't imagine being like a West Brom like fan and having that all the time like yeah. up one season down the next and like I, I'm not really sure about the ins and outs with Norwich, but like obviously the like because you're going up and down like the constant conveyor belt of changing of players and and things like that and mm. like as you say it's like you've got all this forward momentum of when you've gone up and then you're instantly on like the back foot yeah. in the premier league it's just like yeah and i think for us because i think we've been through sort of a number of periods in the past where we've gone up and kind of we've overspent and we've overextended mm. ourselves and we've left ourselves in a pretty perilous position. There's been more than one time since I've been uh, supporting Norwich where we've been like really on the verge of like administration and like really kind of struggling to kind of rub two pennies together. So like, yeah, it's been really like bad. And I think actually the the kind of management structure and system that we have at the moment is one that is sort of a bit more prudent and that's not to say that kind of when we go up, we won't spend money. And but I think it's also a realization that kind of I think the kind of uh, sale of Ben Godfrey to Everton in the summer was mm. like a perfect example of kind of we are going to be a team for a while, I would imagine, who have those players for a bit and then we do really well and then they sort of need to move on to the next uh, sort of challenge if we can't sort of match that level, which I'm yeah. fine with. And actually in the summer, we kept far more of our players than I thought we would. And I think that's because lots of the players have really bought into the way the sort of the club is run and kind of the manager style, you know, we've kind of kept Daniel Farker through relegation and he's kind of, you know, he's got us top of the league again. Um, he, he has very sort of, clear expectations of his players I think and I think that the ones mm. that we have are, are kind of there because they buy into it and he's quick yeah. so like the ones so when we came down in the summer you could immediately tell the players who were like oh this is kind of beneath me like the championship like I should be playing at different things and they've been like phased out and stuff whether or not we got bids or not so I think that yeah. the way we run is for kind of the long term sustainability of the football club to have in the city rather than kind of that sort of boom and bust success that sort of other clubs have have had and I think that's kind of the thing that's important to me like regardless of what league we're in I'm still going to turn up to watch like Norwich and like follow Norwich mm. I would rather have that sort of safeguarded long term than have sort of a couple of seasons of overspending in the Premier League where we then sort of end up sort of, you know, sort of up, uh, um, on the verge of, you know, kind of bankruptcy or anything. So, yeah. you know, well, yeah. Like, what about you with Pompey? I was going to say, like, what's your view say, on like, Portsmouth? We're, we're like a prime example of that. Like, yeah. we were in the like, Premier League for, like, what, five, six years? Yeah. And at the time, everything seemed 
rosy because we Obviously, didn't know yeah. what was going on behind the scenes. As soon as we get relegated, we realise we've got this excess <laughs> sort of player wage bill, yeah. all these like debts and everything goes crumbling down. Yeah. And obviously like we've been lucky enough that like now things have kind of become a bit more sustainable. We've got Yeah, because where are you at investment. now with like the ownership and stuff? Like is it still fan owned or have you Well so it's technically owned by the guy that runs Disney, like Michael Eisen is it Eisenberg? Uh yeah of course. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah he... something like that. Yeah, yeah yeah. Yeah, but he's very much like a hands-off person so the person okay. that kind of runs the day-to-day of the club is mike catlin who mm-hmm. was the kind of um like ceo when it was the trust that, mm-hmm. that run it okay. so he's very so it's kind of like we like the eisenbergs have got like they're the owners they're the money mm. but we're gonna let the footballing person carry on oh, perfect doing the football stuff which is like it works really well mm. and i think like a lot more clubs are kind of taking that position where you've got yeah. like a director of football or someone like that that's kind of in charge but yeah it's it is like demoralizing seeing when you've been at those heights of the Premier League and just literally yeah. season by season <laughs> just, everything crumbling, just down. dropping like so, a stone through the leagues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it like for us, it was it was like free for all. Like, yeah. Went into administration at points looked like we were going to go into liquidation, but mm. because of like the community spirit around mm. the team, obviously the fans ended up buying mm. the club, and that was like not just like a thing that the fans wanted that was like a huge campaign just Mm -hmm. throughout the whole city like i remember this is when i was working at the local newspaper Mm -hmm. and like the local newspaper was like a huge part of running that campaign and and things like that and like i think it was only like a small percentage but it was like a percentage of every sale of of like so the paper did this like saturday supplement which was like basically a, a pompy paper for like the like the games and stuff mm-hmm. and a percentage of that the that profit went towards the, oh, the bid to buy the club and things yeah, like that so that was cool it was really, it was a cool thing to sort of see in in hindsight but like yeah at the time, at the time it's it's difficult, like, yeah. what's yeah. like the fan opinion now on like the ownership structure <laughs> like, i'm always really interested when like fan owned clubs work their way back and then they're like starts to be a bit of a shift in terms of fans think well okay mm. we've got to this point and stuff now the only way we're going to progress further is to go back to you know sort of private ownership or to kind of go through that like i know wimbledon have been going through like a similar thing haven't they yeah. where they're kind of like what's the next step and stuff what's like the consensus yeah. amongst like portsmouth fans i mean i think at the moment as i say we've got this really good balance yeah. where like Eisen's because obviously he's in America. Yeah, like, yeah, I think yeah. I think when obviously fans and stuff were allowed in, they did come over for some games, but it was very much a kind of like at a distance approach. Yeah, yeah. And everything like structurally, okay, it's kind of been made a bit more professional now because we've got a a bit more income. Well, obviously not at the moment because. <laughs> yeah, money's shit for every club, but like yeah, we've yeah. got 
stability there to some extent mm. whereas obviously before it was kind of like scraping and scrounging yeah. and having to sell off assets and so on and so forth so like from my opinion i think things are going in the right direction obviously if we get promotion this year then it will be interesting to see whether there's kind of a pumping of investment in terms yeah. of buying players and because like a lot of like what we've had to rely on is like loan deals or like free transfers or like players that are kind of going out of contract and so it's still that like we can't chuck like a couple of million at a player sort of thing yeah which like i i think is fine as long as you've got the the playing structure and you know the players you want to bring in absolutely but like yeah obviously i see i think so for like a large portion of my time supporting pompey we were a division one slash championship team yeah yeah and yeah, i same think for that's Norwich always me, yeah yeah so i think that's always kind of gonna be our level mm. like i there's obviously gonna be fans that are like oh we we deserve to be in the premier league <laughs> yeah. still. And, but like that was a nice time, and like we did really well for those years that we were there. But yeah. I, I don't think it's realistic within the next like five years. No. To be honest, no, no. Oh, cool. But yeah, like in terms of like where you are at the moment, like I don't know. Do you see promote like is promotion sort of end game for this season? Do you? I do think, you think. Well, or? I I think that yeah. I mean, I've just got the league table up just so i didn't forget so we're top on 58 and then seventh is 43 so i mean mm. i would like to assume that we would be finishing in the top six i yeah. think sort of based on because i really kind of most of this season sort of most of the football i've watched has been either kind of norwich games themselves because they've sent like streaming links to like season ticket holders so i've been able to watch oh, every home cool. game and every midweek away game. So that's been like pretty good to still like feel like you're in touch with it. Um, yeah. And then kind of watching championship highlights. And I think both Swansea and Brentford, I would say would be my tips for top two. I think sort of going forward, yeah. Brentford look absolutely phenomenal. Um, so I think they'll, they're my tip for the title, I would think. But I think we'll be in the playoffs. I think I would, mm. yeah. And then it's kind of, uh, uh, yeah see where we're at and stuff I mean I think in terms of kind of people at the club I think their aim will obviously be sort of promotion and I think for many fans I think that would be the aim but I mean obviously like when you're in the playoffs then you just have to like see how it goes but I think yeah I think a, a, a playoff finish is probably where we'll hmm. end up this season is my yeah my guessing and because like, obviously the season before when you were in the Premier League I can't hmm. remember where I saw this, but I think I remember reading somewhere that like a lot of people, I, I think including like Daniel Farkey himself, like said it it came a seat like a few seasons too early, like in terms of getting up there. Yeah. So I don't know. Was that the general consensus that like you? <laughs> I don't know. Like you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, a little bit. Because I mean, Farker's first season was hit and miss I think I think there mm. were a lot of people that were kind of starting to question because because our so our 
director of football type role is Stuart Webber, who was the same person who took David Wagner to Huddersfield. Right. So I think a lot of people expected it to be the same thing because Huddersfield went up pretty much straight away and it kind of all sort of worked. They were playing lovely football. I think sort of our first season, because he inherited a squad that weren't really able to play to what he wanted to do. So we really relied on James Madison that first season. Like without him, we'd have been like way worse. I think we ended up finishing Mm. about sort of ninth or tenth. Uh, which doesn't sound too bad, but like a long way off the playoffs. And like the points drop off was like quite significant. So I think going into the season that we ended up winning the league, I remember in the end of August, start of September, we played um, Ipswich in the derby away. And we mm. we won um, pretty, pretty narrowly, but won. And I think going into that game, lots of the talk was actually like, if he doesn't, win the derby then there's going to be some serious questions asked about like right. whether so i think to go from there in september to comprehensively winning the league and going up i think yeah i think in hindsight that it probably did come a little bit too soon because no one expected us to win the league that sort of convincingly playing the style of football that we did like it was some of the best football that i've ever seen norwich play um it was yeah, yeah brilliant so i think yeah then going up we retained quite a lot of the team that got us up which i think most people were okay about at the time, but then come sort of, yeah, sort of December, were like, oh, actually, maybe we should have signed some people, which I think was a bit of kind of revisionism on fi- on sort of fans' parts and stuff. I don't remember too many people questioning things in that summer. But yeah, I think, mm. um, I guess overall, I think it probably did come a little bit too soon. So I guess I wonder we were to go up this season whether actually we'd be slightly better prepared and we'd have a bit um, sort of more of a plan um, mm. so yeah it'll be interesting if we do go up to see if we kind of yeah sort of um, it goes the same way or whether we're able to stabilize a bit more yeah um, and I think like something that I found quite interesting obviously like did a bit of like reading into Norwich because mm-hmm. obviously I knew I was going to bring you on mm-hmm. I, and I didn't realise like that Faki was is like the first non-British manager that the club's had in like yeah a hundred and something yeah. years. So like We're, when oh, sorry, go, go on. No, I was going to say like we are kind of for all the we're kind of quite progressive in a lot of ways. We are quite a provincial team in some of those things. So, so yeah, I'm not <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the the reason I bring that up is like. Because obviously, no matter what sort of manager you bring into your club, there's always going to be some fans who were for it, some fans who were against yeah. it, sort of thing. So, what was the general consensus when he was announced as as manager? Like, were people excited? Were people like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Uh, yeah, well, I think, um, I think because where where we'd been, we had sort of a period where we'd had Alex Neil, who had got us to the playoff final and taken us up and then had a sort of that had kind of fizzled out and Mm. we we seem to actually be in a similar cycle that kind of we just talked about around kind of every few seasons we go up and stuff it wouldn't go very well we'd come back down and have to start completely from scratch and I think what they wanted was a longer term thing where actually regardless of whether we were up or down we were still kind of approaching things in the same way I think 
that the success of people like Wagner at the time, because that was the season um, before we brought in Farker, that kind of opened sort of people's kind of perceptions to the we can do things a different way, you know, because usually when we stack a manager, it's the same odd names that get like chucked in, you know, almost like, yeah, yeah. you know, like the good football men, like quote unquote, who are like, you know, and I had absolutely no kind of desire to have a, a like a Warnock or like a Tony Pulis <laughs> or like any yeah. of those people anywhere near our club. Because that's just like not the sort of football that I want to be watching. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think in that sense, I think everyone was quite um refreshed i think to see a change of tack because it wasn't just in terms of managerial appointment it was right the way through the club that we kind of changed things up from kind of ceo all the way through so i think people were kind of willing to give it sort of a chance and then Mm. i think that first season there were sort of some questions being asked um uh, which, like I said, kind of led on to that second season. Um, but yeah, I think at the time, I think people were open to a change. I mean, you could never please everyone, like you said. Um, but I think that they came in and they kind of, uh, yeah, said some kind of hard truths that Needham said in terms of kind of some of the the kind of assumption that we had some sort of divine right uh, to kind of go mm. up. And we were spending beyond our means to try and do that. And actually, if we wanted a football club to continue supporting, then we need to do things differently. So I think most people yeah. got on board, um, yeah, mm. at least initially. And you say you're like going on about like the sort of spending beyond your means sort of thing. And I thought find it interesting when like there's a club that has either like a moment in time or like a history or something like that that will stick with them and doesn't ever seem to sort of go away or sort of. I don't know, like as much as you want it to, sort of thing. So I'm going to bring up the the Delia Smith incident, but like as a fan, obviously, yeah. I think it's probably like hand in head kind of moment, sort of thing. Yeah. But I don't like obviously me bringing it up now, but like, is it something that like the fans just kind of want to forget? And nah, I think I think most people now, I think it's kind of we just kind of embrace it, you know. I think in that way that kind of because I think even now you go to other uh, like grounds or like away fans at Carrow Road and they're like singing like you know let's be having you and all that stuff, and it's like yeah. <laughs> I think you've just got to embrace it because actually, I mean, there's a lot of I think opinions split sometimes still about sort of Delia and her husband in terms of kind of um, how far we can progress with them as kind of owners and majority shareholders. My mm. view is that we literally um, in club without them um, because they put so much of their own money into us in the 90s. Mm. And yeah, I just think it was quite endearing, really. I mean, like it was, I mean, it's cringe. It's it's so cringe. But I think the, the yeah, the vision of this kind of passionate sort of, yeah, cook who used to be famous, but now kind of um, sort of less in the limelight, um, uh, who's had one too many G&Ts at half time and kind of wants to go on the pitch in the rain. I, I, I think that's quite sweet. I think we can, you know, I think, you know, yeah, it is what it is. Like, I think at the time everyone was like, oh my goodness, what is, what is she doing? Um, yeah. But 
yeah, it's 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 funny, isn't it? You know, you can't, <laughs> I can't be too mad about it. It's that's quite endearing. And just what, one thing, because this it kind of happens. Well, last night at, when, at the time of us recording this, not necessarily Norwich related, but obviously within the rivalry. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Um, this referee that kind of squared up to the yeah. player. I only saw that today. So when I was kind of doing some prep for this, I was on um, uh, one of the sport websites and I saw the photo. I could, yeah, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Like, I don't know like what the context was. Like I read the story, obviously the, yeah. um, it was kind of near the end of the game, wasn't it? I think he handed out quite a few yellows and like a red as well. Maybe he'd sent off an Ipswich player. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've never, seen anything like that before I, know. <laughs> I, was... I, I just thought it was it was kind of serendipitous in terms of like me speaking to you and it happening to an well, he, <laughs> I, I mean not to kind of cast aspersions but sort of looking at the picture of the referee like he looks like the sort of person who you would expect if you were like playing like Sunday League or something you would expect someone who looks like that would probably be a culprit for like squaring up to someone like I'm not like shocked <laughs> looking at him he's not kind of one of those referees who are like I'm not quite sure how you're managing to referee a Premier League game just by looking at you like not to like you know but he he looks like he would be the sort to like square up to someone on like uh, Hackney Marshes at the weekend so <laughs> yeah I mean who, who knows who knows <laughs> I can't see him refing again at that level for a while probably no. so <laughs> And like just in terms of like the the rivalry, because like, I don't know, like obviously with like Pompey and Southampton, like yeah. it's well kind of documented in terms of like the hatred and stuff like that. Yeah. But with it with Norwich and Ipswich, is it is it a heated rivalry? Is it because I don't really know too much about it to be honest. I so it's always been there, and I I don't really know like why where it sort of stems from originally. It's not like because obviously mm. we're not that that near you know it's like 40 minutes away Ipswich like on the train yeah um so it's not like we're super near um but uh, um I guess because we're the only two teams in the region at that level sort of that's Mm. always been the thing um I think it is pretty heated you know like sort of derby day is quite quite sort of heated and full-on I guess my my impression has always been that the sort of Ipswich dislike us more than we dislike them. I'm sure <laughs> yeah. if you ask Norwich fans, they'd be like, no, no, we hate Ipswich. Um, I just, yeah, I think the, and whether that's because, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of like tropes around it, you know, like we're a city, they're a town, like Norwich has this whole like cultural sort of heritage Whereas Ipswich mm. is like not really known for that sort of stuff. I think that kind of they view us as these like a sort of well-to-do like city types and stuff. Who right? Like, okay. And that and it's like that sort of vibe sometimes. I think that kind of I'm not really bothered. I would always rather Ipswich were in the same league as us so we can have a derby and stuff. I don't really yeah. sort of enjoy seeing them in sort of complete financial meltdown like they have been and sort of in League mm. One. Um, yeah, I mean, Derby days are pretty full on and it's funny when we beat them, you know, like I'm not going to lie and say I don't like revel in beating <laughs> yeah. Ipswich. Like the playoff semi-final a few years ago where we beat them um, to get to Wembley was was just one of the funniest days of supporting Norwich. It was great. Um, but yeah, it's not as heated as like some, I don't think anyway. But yeah, um, I'm sure that kind of some fans would disagree, but that's my interpretation of it. No, um, no, I agree. 
and I think like it is that thing of like when you do get those wins, it's like obviously it's bragging rights, but it is also that like like with Pompey and Southampton at the moment. I, I mentioned this the other day. Obviously, when Southampton lost nine nil the other week, um, whoever runs like Pompey's social media <laughs> is an absolute king. So when so when Southampton lost the first time round nine nil to to Leicester, mm-hmm. whoever runs their like their Twitter page like Pompey's one put out a tweet congratulating Leicester on equaling like the like goal scoring record or something. No mention of Southampton, just the fact that it was the nine nil. Love that. And then the because of the one of Manchester United the other week, they literally went back and found that original tweet <laughs> and then added to the thread and like the same exactly same wording, but just added Man United instead of Leicester. That's it was brilliant. like just absolutely golden. That's great. So yeah, and I think I love it's that, like, little of, things like that. Yeah, and I mean, our social media does similar things because it's getting on like it's over 10 years since Ipswich beat us now. So it's kind of, it's mm. very one sided in recent sort of times. Um, so yeah, sort of our uh, social media, when any sort of anniversary rolls around of any big game versus Ipswich, they're like fully embracing it. It's quite, it's quite funny. <laughs> yeah. Following yeah. cool. them pretty bad. <laughs> Um, before we move on, I always like to ask whether it's a player that's like a current player or, mm-hmm. or past Norwich player. Is there any sort of like player that you can think of that really embodies like the punk ethos that played for Norwich at all? Ooh. Um... Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I would say that oh i feel like someone from yeah sort of the 90s when Mm. we were kind of not not the prettiest not the most attractive but still like fun and had a good time um yeah and it was quite yeah who would i who would i go for oh god um I would go for actually. I'm just gonna go for this one. So I go for you and Roberts. Okay. Right. So because he would be one of those players. So you know bands in the punk scene who are like big for the punk scene. But then if you went into work on the Monday and said about the band you saw at the weekend, as like no one would have heard of them. <laughs> like that is you and Roberts. Like Norwich fans yeah. like true truly adore him, and he is a legend. But I think most people now, if you had a conversation about like favourite sort of ever strikers and you were like, oh, yeah, you and Roberts, lots of people would be like, who? And like, like, they'd have to yeah. go and like Google and check. <laughs> yeah. And just kind of his appearance was always a bit like scruffy and stuff. He lost one of the, uh, his... I was going to say, teeth. I remember losing the teeth. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, gap yeah. too. So he's like there and like it's 90s. So it's like baggy like shirts and a bit of like a scruffy haircut. And he's got two teeth missing. Um, but... Yeah, you and Roberts. We'll go you and Roberts. Yeah. I've, it's quite funny because, like, one of the players that always stood out for me, like, for Norwich, when especially when Pompey played, mm. like, just because he was always, like, no matter what team he played for, he was an absolute hindrance, was Darren Huckabee. Yeah, yeah. And so, hit like, you saying hit you and Roberts, like, them two together was, like, yeah. especially, like, Division One years. Yeah. They were fucking horrible to play against. Yeah, phenomenal. So... 
The, um, there was a period as well when throw... we first. No, I was going to say when we first had you in as well, and we had Craig Bellamy in the early days of his like career. Oh shit! Yeah, yeah. And that was like completely unplayable for defenses. That was like such a joy to watch, like a young Craig Bellamy, like just so so lightning quick, like setting up this like towering Welsh centre forward was yeah joy to watch. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Um, yeah, I just want to th- like throw one into into the hat for my own. I don't usually do this, but I think he's a player that deserves a bit of a shout out yeah. just because he's got a weird sort of background to where he is now. But Grant Holt, yeah, because now he's gone into the world of wrestling. He has, <laughs> yeah, has, yeah, he has, which I think is fucking fair play. He's like, he's yeah, he's a weird one, Grant Holt. He's um. Yeah, but like uh, that's his career jump that he's made. Um, yeah, but he was still playing football last year, which I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah, he was playing for like non-league somewhere, wasn't he? Yeah, Roxham. Yeah, so he, so many players. Only made two appearances, but no, yeah, no. I think that's because Roxham are managed by an ex-Norwich player. I think right, okay, Craig Fleming. So lots of. Lots of players who come to Norwich. I don't know if this is the same at like other clubs. I'm sure every club's got this, but so many players like seem to settle here after they finish playing. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I guess you know it's quite a nice place to raise a family, and it's kind of you know it's not sort of in kind of a massive city, but it's big enough. But yeah, lots of players end up playing for like yeah, like Wroxham or Norwich United or like those sorts of teams, and like staying or being involved in like youth coaching for Norwich. Um, Mm. Yeah, I think half our youth coaching setup is like former players. So, yeah, yeah, we, we've got a lot of that. Like, like having a wall evil is our one. Like, mm. a lot of players go go there, and but like even just sort of like either d- doing stuff in the community or just kind of being like with, as you say within like the local city. So like I remember when I used to work in this like restaurant, it was in like. Uh, this like like marina place and mm-hmm. like it's obviously like, all the people who had a bit of money would live there and yeah. stuff and like every, like without fail every weekend there was like these play which like for me like as a kid growing up in the 90s <laughs> like they were like gods but it was like guy whittingham andy orford yeah uh mark chamberlain and stuff like p- players like who t- like your general football fan mean nothing yeah absolutely but to me yeah. I'm, I'm like Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, completely. Yeah. A fantastic finish. Ten minutes gone. Norwich City lead. It's Grand Holt. We'll move on to sort of like the more kind of general football chat. And I think there's a couple of things that are quite poignant that have come up this week. Mm. Um I'm gonna kind of take the two points hand in hand, but we'll yeah. start with this this quote that's kind of come out about Ian Wright sort of kind of jumping to the f- defense to of women pundits and mm. I think like it's really strange that like now we're still seeing this kind of like backlash of like women talking about like the quote unquote men's game mm. where like you've got someone like Alex Scott who has been a pundit for I think maybe four years now yeah, yeah it's a while and like. Karen Carney, who's one that's kind of come in a bit more recently, like them getting sexist abuse and stuff like that. When it's like, they're just pundits at the end of the day who have, like, they're literally voicing opinion on on football. When, like, you have women fans, you have, 
like fans of all kind of backgrounds in the stands. But that's okay for them to voice their opinion. But as soon as you put a camera or you put them on a radio show, they get criticised. So I don't know, like, where? What's your view on this? Like, why do you think like this is still a thing? Cool. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it even goes back to like when they first had female commentators and like summarizers like on five live i remember like the first time i think it was jackie oatley was like one of the commentators mm, yeah and she got so much stick and i think i think it's interesting like what you say about how there's like lots of women and girls and like people from all walks of life go to football but i do think that like even in like the stands and stuff there is like this pervasive view sometimes that like women have to somehow earn that right like they really have to work hard to like mm. prove it and stuff whereas any like bloke can give some really ill-informed like like poorly <laughs> yeah. thought out like crap opinion and it's just like taken as like red um and i think that that is quite pervasive i think yeah i was thinking about this before when he sort of, um, sort of sent the talking point through and i think there is an element of it of like people who because it, because they're the same sort of people that will probably tell you that sort of in all walks of life, they're like kind of privileges that they've enjoyed for so long are being impinged mm. upon, you know? And it kind of, it sort of ties in sometimes with like, I don't know, like your feelings on that whole thing about sort of against modern football and that whole like movement and stuff. And I yeah. think there's lots of things around that that are good, you know, um, with kind of tv's influence on football etc etc but i think there is a thread of that sometimes it gets picked up about how wasn't it good when like football was for blokes and everyone can meet up at the pub and we could you know we could like we could leave the old ball and chain at home and like that sort of thing like that sort of attitude (laughs) and like all go and like get pissed up and like go and watch the football and i think that like for as much as we like think that that is not the pervasive thing anymore and stuff and maybe it's because we live in more of like an echo chamber where we're like surrounded by people who are more like-minded so any football Mm. conversation i have with mates and stuff no one i know holds those views yeah i don't think that that means that it's not sadly the dominant thing that like football in it's like the people who follow it and I guess also people who like shout the loudest about it still hold mm. some really old fashioned archaic views and they'll like turn that on whichever kind of, uh, yeah, sort of target of their ire it seems to be that week. You know, it's like the same as like people um, who sort of send players like racist abuse on Twitter, you know, which yeah, is yeah. like, well, we can't say anything in the stands anymore because everything you know everything's like really sanitized there or whatever so we kind of like the next thing is to kind of go on like phone-ins or on like social media and like send all this there and it's i mean like it's obviously repulsive but i think it's that Mm. like bigger thing about sort of people's perceptions of like who football is for still and sadly lots of people think that like yeah football is a sport that should be dominated by like yeah hyper masculine like straight men um yeah i think the the interesting like side of it for me is the fact that like it's ex players okay like jackie oatley maybe is a bit of a different one because yeah yeah 
she comes from obviously like a media background and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. But it's like ex players who have played the game at the highest level in their world. Okay, like some people still don't see the women's game as highly as it should be, mm-hmm. which I think is a completely other conversation. Yeah, yeah. But like, <clears throat> if we take Alex Scott for example, she's someone that obviously has worked really hard at like her analysis and and things like that and is has become like one of the better pundits on that we see on TV but then if you take someone like Gabby Logan who is for all intents and purposes I don't, know, I don't mean this to be disparaging but she is a host like she's she's not a a football person quote unquote but none of the abuse... She might do, but not to the same extent. But mm. none of the abuse seems to be pointed in her direction. Mm. It's the ones that do have the played knowledge. Mm. And I think that's a really interesting kind of take on it. I think there's probably... Yeah, I think there's probably a couple of things to that. I think that one of the things is whether they would admit it or not that the people who sort of give those female pundits abuse probably feel like threatened and undermined you know, like no <laughs> yeah. this is like my thing so how can we keep on to it and stuff well if we're just really horrible to you maybe you're like sharp um and <laughs> the other thing i guess is that kind of with people like gabby logan i think that there's always in sort of any um yeah sort of group or kind of thing i think there's always kind of those people who are kind of accepted as being outliers so it's like oh okay well we've got a female like host for this show but that's okay Mm. because it's just seen as like a one-off or kind of you can like that's almost kind of like yeah permissible for those people or kind of like it's more palatable Mm. or probably the thing that like actually um because as you said kind of in their view it's just a host so it's just kind of hosting the show uh, but then the real kind of actual like um, sort of parts of the conversation, the in-depth stuff is kind of done by the male professionals. Um, yeah. And I think, I mean, like the optimist in me would like to think that the more it becomes normalised and that you have, you know, like a 50-50 split in, you know, kind of studio punditry or all, you know, kind of uh, like a, an entirely female panel for like a Premier League game that mm. things would would change because I think part of it as well is that there are a lot of um, sort of ex male pros, especially. I'm thinking people of the kind of era of like your Graham Soonesses and that sort of age of era mm. who have been sort of coasting along on their kind of outdated opinions about like football for a (laughs) while and I think that kind of actually the people who recognize that these new pundits bring a kind of fresh and insightful view I guess that kind of my hope would be that that will just become the accepted thing and actually that kind of people complaining about it will be drowned out by everyone else being like no this is really good um but yeah i don't know if that's going to be any time soon sadly um yeah yeah what yeah what are your thoughts on like what yeah can be done to like combat it or kind of like what well it's interesting you're saying about like the kind of like all like 
female sort of like panel or whatever. Because I think like mm. the times when like the WSL has been on like BBC or something like that, they do like it's kind of a bit tokenism, but I kind of get why they do it because they do they have Gabby Logan as like the anchor, but then they'll have three, two or three like like women pundits. They won't have any men, which I think like is fair enough because the men don't necessarily know the women's game. But you need to kind of bring that into the other side of things. Like, I think if you were to have, say, for instance, like take the Champions League final or like we've got the Euros coming up in the summer, say like the Euro final, like to have like not just like Alex Scott as your your token person, you have like Gabby Logan as the anchor and then you have like a an Alan Shearer and Alex Scott. Like it's so it's rotated. It's not just always the same three men's face mm. that you're seeing. Like mm. I think that's the way it needs to be approached. But as you say, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be something that. No, and I think that soon. kind of the point you make about sort of having all female sort of panels for WSL games. I think that is really important. You know, kind of when BBC had the coverage. Um, from the Women's World Cup and those sorts of things as well. I think actually that that's really important to give, um, to show kind of younger viewers, especially kind of girls mm. who are really interested in football, that kind of actually there can be sort of this path for them, whether it's kind of the playing side or the media side and stuff. It doesn't, you don't have to try and break into the men's game you don't want to but similarly yeah it would be yeah it's that kind of getting that sort of next step where actually you can equally choose to go into both and actually they're essentially interchangeable because we're all talking yeah. about the same sport at the end of the day so like if mm. you're playing for like a women's premier league side you know just as much about like men's premier league and like vice versa um mm. but i think yeah i think that starts a lot lower down in terms of you know like schools and kind of community schemes and just kind of normalizing like children being involved at football together alongside each other and not like segregating it because that's what sort of leads then to those sort of um almost two parallel paths doesn't it where sort of boys yeah. are like well we've got sort of our side and you've got a, like women's football so you should just be happy with that and it's like no actually like <laughs> yeah. you should be able to like enjoy like both you know um, the thing is, is like if like you're kind of more talking about it like generally, mm. it goes back to that kind of like women having to work harder for it because like if you think about like take the WSL for an example, like the if you take like the top teams in in that so like your Arsenal's, your Man United's, your Chelsea's, a lot not always all the time, but a lot of the women that support those teams don't just support the women's team, they support the men's team mm, as well. So they, they know they know everything about both. Whereas the reverse of that, you've probably got like thousands upon thousands of like, take, take Arsenal fans, for example. They'll know every single stat and statistic about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but they won't know anything about Vivian Miedemar. Mm. It's just like, it, it needs to be a two-way street, not yeah. just like, yeah, like and I the think women that, doing all the work. Yeah, well, yeah, I think that kind of it's also about sort of 
Um, and some clubs are better than um, others in terms of kind of promoting sort of their women's teams and stuff in mm. terms of like, you know, funding and giving them the thing. It's kind of also on, I guess, like broadcasters to kind of increase the sort of coverage of those things. It's kind of, yeah, it's more than just kind of saying, um, oh yeah, it's more than just saying that kind of, yeah, this is bad. So what are we going to do about it? Yeah. I think there's kind of lots of different uh, sort of elements where there needs to be more investment, both financially and also kind of like time wise in terms of time given to those things to just mm. normalize that. Yeah. Kind of football is a sport for, for everyone, regardless of it's like the male or the female game. Um, mm. Yeah. And just kind of like to bring it kind of back to, to Norwich, what's their mm. kind of women's setup? Is it quite it's, front and centre or, or it's in its infancy, I think. I think that they have it they've been around for a while, Norwich City Ladies. They didn't really they weren't sort of affiliated with the club for a while. Um mm. in more recent years they have come under the funding from um, the community sports foundation that we have. So kind of, we mm. have uh, the sporting foundation that kind of funds sort of disabled teams and kind of other things. And part of the funding for the ladies team comes under that. They play right. their games at the training complex that we have. And there's like the kind of pitch that has kind of a little small kind of spectator bit sort of around uh, it's kind of like the pitch and there's a hedge all the way around and then it's kind of like a little yeah. sort of track where you can kind of like stand and watch and sort of lean against the wall to watch so i mean it's not at the same level as kind of the wsl teams um hmm. i think that there is a desire and an aim to increase it and i think that like you said i think i think the people who go now and support it and stuff are really into it and stuff. Yeah. I think it's kind of more about sort of how you get those kind of casual match day fans for the men's team or those kind of like fleeting fans to also have an interest in that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it could be better, but it could be worse, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and the other kind of thing that I wanted to kind of bring in, cause it kind of fits with the women's game in some mm. aspects. But is this thing, so the BBC have been running a thing throughout the month of kind of shining a, a light on um, LGBTQ plus sort of sports people mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. um, but there, there was a, a thing on the BBC about uh, Thomas Beattie being like the first, well, one of the first British players since, uh, is it Jason Fashion? No, Justin Fashion. Justin Fashion, yeah. 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 To, to, to come out as gay. And I think, like, it's interesting because not that it's... Well, it's more accepted within the women's game. Yeah. And, like, unfortunately, there's a lot of stereotypes around women who play football. It's like, oh, you've got to be a lesbian sort of thing. Yeah. But, like, obviously, like, there's a lot of, like, there are openly gay women that play the sport. Like... Um, I completely forget their names now, but there's a couple of players in the WSL, mm. uh, one that plays for Chelsea, one plays for Arsenal, that are a couple and they like are openly mm. like a couple. Mm. Um, Megan Rapina is yeah. a huge sort of gay rights activist. Yeah. But on the flip, the men's game is still this like 
shrouded cloud like and like I think it's only like in the last couple of years like we've had higher profile players like Thomas Hitzelsberger mm-hmm. who's openly like spoken about it and sort of campaigned for it and like you can't tell me out of all the leagues in like if we take the top four leagues in, in England in isolation yeah. you can't tell me not a single one of them absolutely is gay bi queer trans whatever non-binary whatever yeah so it's just like why why is this still a stigma why the fuck can people not talk about it still um so i think well i mean part of it is due to that kind of the perception that um sort of yeah being gay or being queer is kind of sort of in means that you are somehow more feminine and then more feminine equals weaker so you can see like the line of argument they have and i think that's sort of part of the reason why they're similar topics i guess in terms of kind of women's engagement in football and lgbtq engagement in football because i think the assumption is from a large part of kind of football watchers is that to be sort of gay or yeah bi or queer is kind of in the same league as kind of being like more feminine. So therefore you're not going to be able to like cut it in mm. kind of the hyper-masculine, like tough world of like football, which is obviously kind of shown up to be ridiculous when you have sort of people like Thomas Hitzelsberger, who was this kind of sort of very tough tackling, um, strong sort of competitive midfielder with like a hell of a free kick on him. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who, you know, uh, absolutely doesn't like fall into that trope i think that you hear lots of the time around kind of you know it's always around the rainbow laces time of year with the campaign you always hear footballers yeah. like we don't care we'll play with anybody as long as you're all sort of doing the thing for the team we don't care i think at the top level i actually think that that is probably largely true like, I genuinely actually do think that it's largely true that you could you could be openly gay in a dressing room and it would be all right. I think the lower, lower down the pyramid, maybe not. I'm not sure. I think that the main sort of stumbling block comes from what fans' reaction would be. And mm. for all the well wishes, you just you just know that there would be chance about it. And I can't even imagine yeah. what it would be like to turn up in front of like fifty people chanting about your sexuality and stuff, let alone forty thousand, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then just kind of the scrutiny at this stage. Cause I think we've reached the stage where the FA and sort of, you know, the PFL and everyone says that kind of what it needs is for one player to come out and Hmm. then that'll be the thing but like the amount of pressure and scrutiny on that one player and stuff who wants to be the first player to come out and do that because it's actually you're saying that kind of okay we've done everything that we can so now it's over to the players and it's like that that's like an impossible situation because i think Hmm. once a player did come out i think that if it was a player from sort of the very top echelons of the game. So we're talking like, you know, sort of Champions League level. They would probably yeah. be able to exist safely in their bubble of kind of 
like being wrapped up in top level football and stuff. My worry would be like, how do you support those players further down the pyramid and even into like sort yeah. of amateur football who sort of decide that sort of they're like, okay, well, I've seen, a, you know, sort of such and such Champions League winning striker come out. So therefore I'm going to, because you don't have the same level of protection when you're further down. You're much more open to kind of the challenges and yeah. the the sort of negative feedback and stereotypes. Um, so it so it's a tough one. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the sort of the progress that lots of um, well, I mean, mainly fan driven things in terms of like fan groups and stuff. And like the Norwich one is actually a perfect example. Like uh, the Norwich LGBTQ fan group was like the second in the country to be set up. And mm. the woman who is the chairperson for it and stuff sits on like the fan board for like the FA and like does like lots for kind of um, sort of inclusion. But lots of the mm. progress has been fan driven. Um, yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's the same with kind of the women's thing we were talking about with like feedback to pundits. I think that there's just like such a vocal number of people who would be so horrible about it that it puts people off um yeah and that's really tough because i think there's a lot of a lot of kids out there who if they saw their favorite you know man united player or their favorite psg player or something came out that would be so powerful but just mm. putting all the onus on the players to do that is like feels almost like an impossible ask of them. Yeah, and I think like that's as you say that pre like especially if it's like one player in isolation, like the pressure on that player is then going to be like they become the po poster person. They're going to be the one that gets put on like all the chat shows and yeah. all the whatever and so on and so forth. So like I'm not saying we need to make a couple but like do you think like if for example like as i mentioned with the women's game where you have like couples that are playing in the same league against each mm. other mm. if there was to be like a gay couple to come out from the game like mm. whether they play for the same team or they're in different teams that are in different leagues or something like that do you think that that would maybe like ease the situation and make it a bit like more normative i think well i mean i think i think it could do i guess my worry would be like we know what the tabloid press in this country is like <laughs> yeah. and i just think about some of like the vulgar sort of titillating stories they would kind of yeah. be posting and sort of the impact on that I mean, I guess that the only way I see it changing is the same. So, so I saw a thing recently in Germany, and this is about like film and TV. It's not like sport related, but basically mm. this kind of a, like essentially like a union, I guess, of kind of actors union, whatsoever, like the German um, sort of version of like Screen Actors Guild sort of thing is. They all made a conscious effort to all come out at the same time. So there were like oh, okay. 20 or 30 sort of TV and film actors in Germany, all German based. I, have, I think I've heard of one of them, mm. but they were all sort of released a statement on mass um, saying that sort of actually we felt now was the right time because of kind of how 
prolific sort of right wing sort of opinions are and all these things. And I think actually that strength in numbers approach means that one for those people, they know they have a support network. Yeah. Because I think if you're, I think, yeah, I mean, I wonder, and this is going into like the realms of speculation, I guess, but sort of, I wonder if you are a gay player now and stuff, how your awareness is of other players who are gay and whether there's that kind of unspoken thing like you know who they are and you maybe even have i don't know like secret whatsapp group where you like talk i don't know like something like that (laughs) you know what i mean where it's like you know the players but you also all know and you have that shared understanding that it's not safe for you all to be out whereas if like 30 of you because that's only one player from every premier league club plus half of the championship. So we're not even talking mm. like it's loads and loads of things. If you had like 30 players all came out uh, um, at the same time, that would be the only way I could see it being manageable. Because then it mm. because then it takes away some of the power that fans have. Because, you know, because you can imagine that kind of, say it's like a Newcastle player who comes out first, wherever Newcastle go and play, that player is going to be kind of yeah, yeah. subject to those chants. But if there's an openly gay player who comes out with all the other players en masse, then it takes away the power of those fans to have those chants because literally every team and probably their own club will have it and stuff. And I'm not saying that they wouldn't yeah. still get it, but at least that there would be a show of solidarity. I think that would yeah. be a more realistic way for it to become normalised. Um, mm. But I don't... I, uh, yeah, I mean, sort of being the players who would have to facilitate that would be, yeah, tough. Yeah, and I think like the sort of kind of other side of it is like the kind of on the speculation kind of realm of it. But like, I mm. remember, like, I don't know because, uh, and I don't mean this to sound in any way disparaging, but like, there are sometimes like stereotypes and tropes and things where like kind of like the quote unquote unspoken like gaydar kind of thing where like (laughs) you can tell from a person's like personality and the way that they kind of carry themselves that that they might be like gay or queer or bi Mm -hmm. or whatever Mm -hmm. and like i remember like going back in like when I used to go to like Fratton Park regularly when I was a season ticket holder. Hmm. There was rumours around like one of the Pompey players that they might be gay just because like they were well groomed and like the way they carried themselves and stuff. And like whether they were or not mm-hmm. is by the by. But mm-hmm. like because there are those rumours that kind of circulate, do you think it would be easier? Because like I don't know, I'm trying to think of like a specific player now, but I don't want to kind of. No, I was doing that before. I didn't want to use an example and kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Um, But like, if, I don't know, say for instance, Norwich, if there was a player that like the fans were kind of questioning, like, are they, aren't they? mm -hmm. And then they were to come out. Do you think that because there's already that thought in their head, like, oh, well, we already knew that. Like, it would matter. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the flip side of that would be someone who you would like never think it to be some like big, yeah. like some big burly centre back, and it like comes out <laughs> yeah. and you're like, oh, okay, like 
Yeah, I think that would be the one that like wouldn't shock them. I think like yeah. the player and stuff, and like we all know like the trope, you know, it's like usually younger and stuff. They're usually wearing an Alice band because they've got um like they've got long hair and stuff. Like you get it like all the time in terms of like yeah. and this is the other thing. I think lots of fans, if you ask them directly and stuff, I wonder how many fans if you said if you got a problem with gay people and stuff, just across the board, lots of people would probably be like, no. Or yeah. some variation of, yeah, I don't care what they do in their own time as long as they're like playing well and stuff. Yeah. Which on the one hand is like, yeah, fine, you probably don't. But then they also don't see the damage that can be done by just those comments that they, or sort of songs that they think are sort of innocent or um, yeah, stuff. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, I'm not sure whether the kind of player who everyone assumes is gay if they were confirmed to be maybe people would be like yeah but i don't think it would like change them using that as ammunition i guess is kind of my worry yeah, it would just yeah. be like another sort of thing uh, sort of another stick to beat them with if they weren't playing well <laughs> yeah. you know um where yeah i don't know i mean there's so many kind of ifs and alls aren't there in terms of kind of we don't know because it's it's just not not a thing that's kind of even seemed sort of near to happening. And I guess it's kind of apt that we're talking about this and obviously Norwich with sort of Justin Fashionu, uh, who was a Norwich mm. player and is kind of honoured lots by fans here. And yeah. so I've kind of been involved in some like fan group stuff where we've like, you know, kind of made banners to commemorate Justin and those sorts oh, of that's things. Cool. And there's never been any public negative criticism you know um like i'm sure in kind of like the sort of depths of the twitter sewer there's probably been (laughs) some negative comments but i mean you could probably find horrible stuff about literally anything to do with the club so that's you know it's sort of not worth going down that but sort of when we've unfurled banners or had stuff it's been largely met with positive stuff so mm. I guess that that is good. But I guess also that sort of has the benefit of that was like 35 years ago at this point now, yeah, 40 years yeah. ago. So there's that separation um, and no other opposition fans are aware of it, really. It's just like a Norwich thing. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that kind of the most realistic would be some sort of en masse thing. And then over mm. the course of time, it would just become accepted. Um, yeah yeah and just because it popped into my head when you were talking about mm-hmm. sort of like the lower down it goes yeah have you ever heard of or seen like a documentary film called next goal wins yes is that the one about is it uh, like the island team who lost like yeah, by some American ridiculous Samoa. yeah yeah and they've got the two spirit yeah. person who plays for them right yeah yeah so the the reason i bring that up is because they have they also have a trans player that yeah plays in that team yeah and i think like that's obviously again a, a, a conversation for an, another time mm. but it's interesting that like this tiny island country has a trans player playing for them and they are they're still they're, like they show it in the documentary there is a bit of kind of backlash to it but for the large part they are accepted mm. so it'll be interesting to see when 
when or if like it gets to that point that we start to see trans players coming into to the game and openly be be out and in that world i think like i hope it happens but mm. as you say we're still in the dark ages with people coming out as gay so yeah and i think it needs to move i mean this is kind of because my so my uh, sort of study thing is psychology i do a lot of kind of like research around um sort of views of sort of one group towards another group and stuff i've done like research on right. that as part of like my degree and there's i think like in these instances it's that thing that there's always groups where you get sort of one person and they're just seen as kind of the exception to the rule so like oh we can have yeah. like one female pundit but not lots and it's not sort of changed our wider view and i guess in the 70s and 80s it was the same as when it was like i oh, will have one black player but they'll still be racist yeah, down the yeah. pub after the game you know i think it's the same now with like oh we could have like yeah one of anything that's different but it like wouldn't change their wider thing so i think as long as you only have individuals doing things you won't sort of be able to change like the dominant thing it needs to be a sort of coordinated um thing but i don't know how we reach yeah. that point sadly <laughs> wish i had some more <laughs> answers for you tim sorry <laughs> <laughs> well the other kind of like talking point that i wanted to bring up was mm -hmm. around a bit more sort of on a specific player yeah. um purely because it's someone that's essentially a one club player mm. at mm. the moment yeah and this is Bayern Munich's David Alaba, mm -hmm. like, he's been at the club since 2008. I think he was a an Austrian team, like, in his youth team, yeah. like, youth days sort of thing. Yeah. But him saying that he's going to sort of leave the team at the end of this season, and obviously he's still 28, still got a few, yeah. few good years in him. Yeah, he's prime of his career, as, really. Yeah, and he's rated as, like, one of the best sort of, set left backs in the world mm. so like i just wanted to kind of play a bit of game of speculation with you is like mm -hmm. where do mm -hmm. you think he could end up like will he i think for me personally he's got to go somewhere else in in europe he yeah. can't go like if he was to be anywhere else in germany the obvious would be dortmund but i can't see that happening i can't see it no i think most think if he'd been like a long-serving player for Dortmund and I could see the other way around happening where he went hmm. to Bayern and had like five years at Bayern and probably won four titles um yeah but <laughs> yeah I can't see him going anywhere else in Germany I think that his because I was surprised that he's still only 28 like that yeah, seems like mad as well to me um because he's yeah like the whole time I've been aware of German football really he's been a Bayern Munich player and he's mm. always like there and won so much hasn't he like he's won like multiple league titles obviously like won the Champions League yeah. twice um yeah I I think he's gonna command a pretty big fee because it's not someone who you can be like well he's 32 we'll give him a year or two years and stuff that's gonna be like a decent contract I think still um mm. so it's someone who's gonna have the the sort of financial means to be able to do that because Bayern, I imagine, because he is he out of contract or is it? Yeah, so yeah. he is out of contract. Okay, 
So that's yeah. So I guess that might change it because then obviously if he's a free agent, can pretty much have yeah. his like pick of places, can't he? Because um, that's the interesting thing. Like one, the fact that. Bayern aren't going to be able to cash in. You would think they would have and, sold him in January if he was going to go. Yeah. And like, got and some t- money. And, and two, like, as you say, because he's still kind of in that prime era, era like, he can essentially pick where he wants to go. It's not mm. not like there's, like, a bidding war over uh, him in the in the normal sense of him that, that the clubs are kind of dealing with it. It's yeah, his yeah, yeah. decision, yeah, yeah. which I think is really interesting. What, what do you think his... And this is this is going wildly like speculation, but what <laughs> yeah. what do you think his like salary that like he would command would be? Because I guess that's one of the ways oh. you can look at it. Because looking at some of the teams, like if we think that like he might go to a Premier League side and sort of who yeah. has the left back space to fill, but like um, also who has the means to be able to pay the I would imagine quite high wages he will be at. Oh um, yeah, definitely. It's kind of you're not looking any further down in the Premier League than like the big like the big teams, are you? We're not talking about well, like I, a I surprise mean, like you're... pitching up at like Wolves or something. Or do we think that there's like what do you reckon? I think you're not looking in terms of Premier League, I don't think you're looking past City and Chelsea. I think they're the only two that can really afford him. Yeah. And like Obviously, the one that's kind of been touted about is Madrid. Mm-hmm. That's um, again, like, it's go- he's gonna be on big money. He's a marquee signing, fact- isn't he? For any club that gets yeah. him, not regardless of level. So, yeah, like, and it's not like he's gonna be. Well, I don't know. It could be a situation where he gets like mega butts from like China or America, mm-hmm. but. Mm-hmm. I honestly think like he's still got like good years in him. So yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, think it's. All... I think it's someone who's in the Champions League as well. Like I don't see him going to somewhere where there's any risk that they're not finishing an automatic Champions League spot. You know, so I guess that's mm. maybe part of it as well. Because you know, there's teams further down the premiership at the moment who you would probably imagine will sort of turn around and go back but you're thinking like the teams who would normally finish in the top four and like Spurs and Arsenal for example who are big clubs and a couple of years ago when they were consistently finishing in the top four you'd say would be able to command those sorts of signings but if they're finishing like yes seventh this season like a player like him is not going to go there is he like he's going to be wanting to play at like the same level he's been playing at for the last like 10 years yeah yeah 20 years i think the maybe the kind of left field sort of choice not it's not so much when i'm going to say it but like it's not a name that i've seen him linked with but after their display last night paris saint germain i Mm. think would be like the amount of money they have yeah and they are trying to build this kind of like mega team with like Mbappe and Neymar and and so forth so getting a David Alaba would would be like another kind of sort of badge to their a sort of string to their bow kind of thing so I think yeah and I also think that like those players are like so talented obviously um and yeah that performance last night was incredible um, and I guess he would fit that thing about sort of building a team over the next four or five seasons where he's been there, like at sort of club level, there's nothing really that he has left to 
win and if they over the next five seasons bring through some more of the kind of hottest talent sort of in terms of other teams he might be a good person I guess for them to have a sort of that more experienced head in the dressing room because he's been yeah, around yeah. for so long but it's still he's still kind of relatable in the sense that he's still late 20 so he's not that kind of you know the old stager who's like there giving like a, <laughs> yeah. a sort of words of advice from the sidelines he can still do it but he is kind of yeah because he's got so much experience that might be useful even for players like a uh, sort of Mbappe and stuff who mm. are so gifted but yeah sort of it's that being able to do that sort of consistently and sort of all my, oh always maintain the high level every season even when you're at the pinnacle isn't it and stuff not sort of allowing things to drop away and Alibaba's a perfect um sort of example of that because he's been able to maintain himself at that same level for so long on yeah yeah sort of the biggest stages so yeah and it's quite interesting i just looked here so he's won nine bundesligas six German Cups, as you say, like two Champions Leagues as well. Yeah. But because Bayern won the Club World Cup last week, like in the sort of like domestic football season, he's helped them with a cl- like a queen uh, a clean sweep. So they literally they hold all six titles that they were vying for in the last footballing year. Yeah. Which is that's absolutely bonkers it's wild isn't it it's crazy and then like imagine being like yeah so i think i'm gonna go and like try something else for a bit like yeah <laughs> yeah it's like oh it's, Mad. it's like oh yeah i've done all this now i'm gonna try something else yeah might as well you know yeah what is interesting <laughs> but i mean i guess that that is another element of it as well i guess if kind of there is a club who are trying to build as you say this kind of like superpower team for someone who i guess doesn't really have anything left to achieve in terms of like winning stuff, maybe being part of that project and sort of helping because you would say that he's part of like a Bayern dynasty, wouldn't you? In terms of like he's been there for that long and not many players can say they've been part of like two successful dominant sort of um, dynasty teams. So maybe that's Mm. like an element where kind of he looks for kind of uh, in kind of, two seasons time who's going to be sweeping everything again in the same way that Bayern have done in the last year um, yeah yeah so that might be a factor so yeah PSG might be a shout cool right well wait and see I guess Jamie, yeah you couldn't even name top five women's players so don't tell me you watch hey, me play I'm not the number the one player. I'm not the number one <laughs> the number one in CBS <laughs> all right listen brilliant. me and me, me, me a ham <laughs> How old are you? Oh, there you go. Please, the Americans. Well done. Goodness. Cool. How we always end it is I like to keep the name of the podcast and bring it real. I get my guests to bring musicians onto the pitch and create their fantasy starting 11. I'm excited Um, for this. I'm excited for this. (laughs) So before we kick into it, have you got a formation? 3-4-3. Okay. Yeah. Right. It's the classic. We're starting goal. So who have we got in goal? Okay, so so I will admit that some of these players are people who are also footballers, but who are very good at music. Okay, so just right. To okay, that's, that's okay. cool. That's cool. So so in goal we have Peter Check. So have you ever <laughs> have you ever watched Peter Check's drum covers? 
I haven't, but I know he's a drummer. Phenomenal drummer. And I was watching him this morning. He does like Linkin Park covers, like weird, like he does. I think he does like a Ramones cover, like really, like, really good. I couldn't believe it. Like I didn't know this until I was researching this 11. I was like, oh, I've got to put Peter Check in there. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's, that's that one. Okay, so left and right back. So I couldn't separate them, but I've got Mercy Half and Lindsay Minton from the band Football Etc. Oh, yes. So I was like, well, you've got football in the title. Um, they're both huge Houston fans. No, da- Dallas now. They've, they're in Texas. Oh, is it Dallas? Okay. Da- so, I think it's Dallas, Dallas Dash, I think it's, they're called. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't kept up they're with gonna hate. They're going to hate me now that I've said this. <laughs> I know. That's, that's bad. Okay. Uh, sorry. Um, but yeah, so I couldn't separate them. So I thought sort of them on either flank would be like good because they have a good understanding. They can know when like which one's going forward, which one's staying back, like solid, like wing back pairing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Center back. I've uh, got Gareth David from the band Los Campesinos. Yeah. Um, so Los Campesinos, I don't know if you saw a few seasons ago, had that like range of their merch that was like uh, Los Campesinos football shirts. Oh no! Didn't so see yeah, that. Los Campesinos football shirts, and then if you took a picture of yourself wearing the shirt and sent it to them, then they made a little like panini sticker thing of like Los Campesinos. That's incredible! Which is like one of the best merch items ever seen. And also Gareth is like really involved in his local non-league team. I think he does lots of like the videographer stuff and like match uploads. That's cool. And things. So I was like, oh, we've got to have him in there. Okay. So going back to the footballers who are also amazing musicians. So right midfield, I've got. Um, Norberto Solano, who is yeah. who is a really accomplished trumpeter. So if we ever want a oh, little bit, yeah, if we want a bit of scar punk action, we can get Nobby Solano involved. <laughs> There's this really good interview this morning that I read where he said he used to play the trumpet in the Newcastle dressing room to try and G up players, and Bobby Robson used to like hate it apparently. Um, so he kept doing it more, which I thought was this like brilliant like picture of like Nobby Solano like playing the trumpet whilst they're warming up. Um, That's great. so good. Yeah, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, midfield, so I've got um, I've got Kai from the band Necra and uh, Child Pose yeah. and everyone who actually, in terms of like musicians I know from the punk scene, is far and away the best footballer that like I know. Like, is actually like legitimately brilliant footballer. A massive Arsenal fan as well. Um, yeah. so Kai's in there. Um, sort of alongside her in the central midfield, we've got John Barnes. Uh, because the world in motion <laughs> nice. rap, you can't. I mean, very. I mean, that's do. a weird combination, them two in midfield. But yeah, I'd love well, to see you know, it. They get the job done, and then left left wing we have Rude Hullet, who in the eighties had a number four chart hit um, in in the Netherlands. So he's a he's a uh, chart topping footballer. There you go. There we go. Um, and then we've got a front three. So Bruce Springsteen. Who I yeah, feel like he's, he's appeared a couple of times. As as he, I think he'd be a quite a, like a Berbatov like role, like strolling around with like a cigarette and just kind of getting involved <laughs> now and again. Um, he yeah, he, he'd be that sort of role. Oh, um, on the left, um, got Bernard Sumner uh, from New Order um, because his yeah. keepy uppy skills in the World in Motion video were great. So we'll get Bernard <laughs> in, and then up front um, we've got Chelsea Grimes. Who is oh, yeah, yeah. who plays for Tranmere at the moment, but used to play for Fulham Ladies and Spurs. And she's written songs for, amongst others, uh, 
Dua Lipa and Kesha and released her own stuff. So like an actual, yeah. like accomplished in both realms. So yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. 11. Yeah. Awesome. I absolutely love that. I that's love great. the like, mix of kind of bringing actual players into it as yeah. well. So Yeah, I had fun researching and... that. It was good. I need to. Um, I keep meaning to message Lindsay and, and Mercy to try and get them on here. Yeah, that'd be great. But just, just time difference is not ideal. But yeah, it's tough, yeah they, if I've got their team wrong, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies as well. Like I knew the, because they're from Houston, aren't they? Football, etc. Yeah, yeah. Which is why I thought it was Houston. But yeah, I hadn't checked if they'd moved or not. Like I've not followed MLS well, for a couple I, of seasons. I remember the reason I say so when we taught like when i toured with them yeah i had the conversation about like oh who did they support and then i remember when they got back from tour yeah overo had some like had one of their songs used for their team's like hype video or something okay and i want to i want to say it's dallas dash but okay so so houston dynamo are still a team they're bottom of the western conference i just looked it up so not doing great and then there's FC Dallas as well. Um, oh, maybe that's who I'm thinking of. But... Yeah, they're yeah they're doing okay. So yeah, but yeah, Lindsay Mercy, I'm sorry if we got it wrong. <laughs> sorry, folks. Brilliant, right? T, thank you very much for, oh, no, you're more for than joining welcome. me. Thank you, enjoyed it. It's been it's been a laugh. Um, hopefully, well, I kind of hope we see Norwich again in the Premier League because I yeah. like seeing yeah. that the. The golden green is a lovely kit to see. It is, TV, yeah, it's so. a nice one. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it is good as well. Like you can feel. I mean, I think this is just like, the same for lots of um, sort of cities, but especially when it's only like a one club city, mm. when they are doing well, it does kind of rub off on sort of the wider sort of city and like public. Yeah, so it's always definitely. quite sort of nice feel good feeling. I'm sure you find that like in Portsmouth as well. Yeah, um, definitely. Like when like when we're doing well in the FA Cup or whatever, yeah. there's always a bit more of a buzz around the city. So yeah, yeah. can definitely relate. Yeah. Perfect. Well, Great. my friend, thank you very much for joining me. Wicked. I will speak to you soon, no doubt. Cheers. But yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. You're welcome. Take care.